A couple of years ago, I was invited to eat um, catfish, and I was invited to eat by a deacon at the church where I was serving as pastor, and he, the invitation sounded like this. It was, I want to take you to eat catfish at this little catfish restaurant, and it is um, kind of far from town, but let's be honest, the best catfish places are usually far from town, right? They're usually out by the lake, and this was out by a little lake near uh, about 25 miles from Texarkana, and he invited me. He said, I want to take you and your family to eat catfish, and if there's anything better than good catfish, it's free good catfish, and so I quickly said, yes, I will be there, and he said, okay, you, it is out near um, this little lake in Ashdown, and, and he gave me some directions on, on how to get there, and there's this a problem here is that the directions that he gave made a lot of sense to him, but they didn't make any sense to me because he is from this area. And so when he gives directions like, oh, there's a, there's a little dirt road, you can't miss it. No, you can miss it. You can miss it and you will end up at a different catfish place out by the lake than the good catfish place that's out by the lake. And so the thing is, I, I looked forward to going to this catfish place um, a lot, quite a bit. And, and I'll, I eventually did get there, but instead of getting there in about 25, 30 minutes, it took me about an hour and a half because I went to the wrong place and then I called him and then I called his wife and I called his son. And, then, and of course, at the good catfish place, there was no cell signal. And so they realized that I wasn't just late, that I was lost. And so one of them drove back towards the main highway, got on the cell, and gave me better directions to get where I was going. It's important sometimes that not only do we know the destination of where we're going, but it's, it's really essential that we know how to get there. Like it, it doesn't matter how great the destination is. If you don't know how to get there, it doesn't matter to you how great it is. In fact, it's almost, it's almost mean to hear about a, an amazing destination knowing that you cannot get there. Well, this, this month we are talking about not just an amazing destination, but I want to be clear. When we talk about forgiveness, which we started last week and will continue for the next several weeks, when we talk about forgiveness, forgiveness is not our destination. Our destination, the goal for us is like the song said, is to live as Christ, that we want to be transformed into his likeness. And what we part, that part of the goal is reconciliation. That's our goal. We want to be reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ. That is our goal. Forgiveness is the vehicle that takes us there. And the forgiveness that we, not only that we receive from God, but the forgiveness that we give to others is an, is an important part of our journey along that pathway to achieve our goal. That's, it's where we're going. Uh, today I am celebrating, and Haley's not here um, this morning. She ran in, in the Wounded Warrior 5K in Dallas yesterday. She's not here this morning, but today is our 12th anniversary. And um, I am, I'll just let you know, I'm going to rub this in that I am here by myself on our 12th anniversary, that she is not here. But I have missed a couple of anniversaries before for mission trips and camps and things. Um, but marriage is not a destination. Even 12 years of marriage isn't the destination. 50 years of marriage isn't the destination. The destination for us is to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Marriage is an amazing vehicle to do that. Marriage is an amazing vehicle to take us there, but our goal isn't just to be married. Like, we're not like, oh, you're married, yay, you've done it. That's, that's not it. That's not the goal. That's a vehicle for us. And it's the same way with, with forgiveness. It is 
something that takes us to reconciliation. It takes us into Christ-likeness. And so we need to study how it is that we do the act of forgiveness more than just being forgiven. And so I want to talk about a passage of Scripture today that is sort of a first step along the pathway to forgiveness. Last week when he talked about forgiveness and we said that, um, that... that the most scandalous story in the Old Testament is the story of how a man would forgive his wife for selling herself into prostitution and all the things. We said that that is comparable to what God has done for us, that he auctioned, that, that he paid the price for us because of our transgressions and sin. And so the first step for us in understanding forgiveness is to recognize how greatly we have been forgiven, that we have been forgiven by God in, in a way that is more amazing than any forgiveness we will ever be able to give, but that because of the forgiveness he gives to us, it fills us up and we forgive out of the overflow of his grace that he has given to us. And so our first step is that we have to let go of the bitterness. We have to let go of anger, of malice. We have to let go of the negativity that we hold in ourselves when we hold something against our brothers and sisters. So we have to let go of that and let the grace of God flow through us. The second thing is, is that we need to deal with our anger. So this morning, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. Jesus gives us amazing insight into forgiveness and into how to deal with anger. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he, he deals with a topic, the topic of murder. Now, what Jesus is doing during this part of uh, Matthew chapter 5 is he's, he's giving a series of in, antithesis where he makes a statement like, you have heard it said this, and then he'll say, but I say to you this. Now, this was a common practice among teachers in Jesus' time. Um, there, it was a common thing to say, you've heard this Old Testament passage says this. You've heard that the law says this. And then the the rabbi or the teacher, he would then give a way to make it easier or better way to keep the commandment. So Jesus is doing something that is similar to what teachers before him have done in that he's talking about a commandment and he is sort of elaborating on the commandment. There's one distinction here. Typically what the rabbis would do is they would say, this is the commandment. Now I'm going to give you, I'm going to build a wall around that commandment. So for instance, with murder, a typical rabbi teaching on murder would be, you have heard it said, do not murder. I say to you, do not throw stones at your brother, which would be a way to murder. Or do not pick up a knife to kill your brother. Do not, you know, do not pick up a stick to harm your brother. And so they would build these walls around it. But Jesus does something different here in that he doesn't just build a wall around murder, but he gives us a way to understand what's really going on. And he cuts to the heart of the issue. And he cuts to our hearts when it comes to not just murder, but something much more, uh, much more important than even that. Let's read in verse 21. Verse 21 says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Jesus here is, is picking up on one of the Ten Commandments. And, and he's not, though, going to just interpret it, but he's going to say this. He's going to say, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Let me go back and just look at these first few words. But I say to you. This is essential. This is essential because who is it that is saying this? This isn't a teacher who is just giving us a way to protect the Old Testament. He isn't just a teacher saying this is, he is is I, but I, but I am, but God says to you. So it isn't just that Jesus is saying, listen, this, this, what has been said before is so important. You've got to protect it. He's saying, listen, I am giving you 
scripture. I am giving you commandments. I am speaking with authority here. Jesus is able to speak with authority like no one ever was able to speak by authority before. Even Moses was not able to speak with the authority of Jesus because Moses was simply repeating what he had received from the Father. But Jesus speaks with the authority of the Father. So Jesus speaks with authority here. So he says, but I say to you, he's not just saying, now this is going to be a lesser commandment, but he's saying, this is how you should have always understood the commandment. And he says this, but any of you will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now there are a few different things. Your translation may not say just whoever insults his brother, but it may say whoever says to his brother, Raka, which is it's a word that is not translatable from Aramaic into English. It's, in fact, scholars don't even, aren't even 100% sure what it means exactly, but they know that it's an insult. Um, one scholar said that raka might mean, um, you know that noise that, and this, I know this is sort of rude to do in polite society, but I'll, I'll ask your forgiveness ahead of time. You know that noise that you make, like maybe you suffer from allergies and you get that, the junk at the back of your throat and you're like, <clears throat> So it, the suggestion is that that voice you make, that noise you make when you clear your throat like you're about to spit on someone, that's raka. So you can imagine that Jesus is saying, if you, when you're around your brother, if, you, if you're thinking about spitting at your brother, if you're going to insult him, another way that I sometimes think about this, I don't speak a lot of foreign languages. Um, I don't speak, I speak like muy en pocos espanol, like very little. Um, but I still, I know when I'm near someone who's speaking Spanish, and they're talking about me, right? Like, we know that. Like, okay, I don't know what they're saying, but I know what they're saying. They're talking about me. Or when somebody will get angry, like somebody will get angry with me at like a customer service somewhere, and they'll say something in Spanish, like, uh, I don't know what you said, but I know it wasn't good, right? And so that's sort of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen, it doesn't really matter what the words are. It matters that if you're insulting your brother, if you're saying something that is offensive to your brother, that's a penalty under the law. That's a penalty under the law. You could be brought before the council. You should be charged with some sort of, sort of a misdemeanor kind of crime. And then he goes on, if you say to your brother, you fool, and, and it's not the words, all right? It's not the words, you're, you fool. What he's getting at is he's getting at what does your mindset, what does your heart have to be to look at your brother and call him a fool, right? Like he's not just saying there's not something magical about the words, you fool, but there is something about the heart that would say to your brother, you fool, I was talking to somebody earlier today, the relationship between brothers and sisters, sometimes it's, it's hard because we want the best for our brothers and sisters. Sometimes I can be my sister's absolute biggest fan and they can be for me and they are also my toughest critics because they think, oh, you should, have, you should have this and this and this and you could have this, this and this. Like, okay, okay. Right? But, but they would never get, they've never gotten to a point that they would look at me and they'd look at my decisions, they'd look at my life and say, you are absolutely without any sort of wisdom. You are just an absolute fool, because that's not where their heart is. So Jesus is saying, if your heart is in that place, there is something wrong here. See, he starts by talking about murder, but he knows that murder isn't the disease. Murder is just a symptom of a disease that exists in the heart. He says, let's not just stop murder from happening. Let's not start that, but let's instead look at your heart. Look at your heart. Look, consider what the state of your heart is. Do you have a heart that would say to your brother, I'm going to spit in your face? Do you have the sort of heart that you would look at your brother and say, you are a fool. You are absolutely without any good sense. Because if you've got that in your heart, then inside your heart, there is a seed that could one day produce the fruit of murder. 
And we're not gonna just try and kill the fruit of murder, but let's get to the seed and let's root that out. And so Jesus gives that in the next few verses. In verse 23, he says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And so he's saying, even if you are there at the temple, and for many people traveling to the temple, it wasn't like us going to church where it's a couple miles, maybe 10 miles. It was a day, multiple days journey to get to the temple. He says, even if you've traveled all the way to the temple and you're there with your offering and you remember that your brother has something against you, and that's, it really strikes me because sometimes that's right. That's how it is. Sometimes we will absolutely forget that, have you ever forgotten that you were mad at somebody? You were mad at somebody and like you see them and you, your first thought isn't, oh, I'm mad at you. Your first thought is, oh, hey, there's so-and-so. Well, hey, there's Jim. Hey, Jim. And then you're like, oh, man, wait a minute. I'm mad at Jim. I forgot, right? We, we forget. He says, so if, if you're in that sort of spot, but you remember your brother's holding something against you, you're in the wrong, go and be reconciled with him first. The suggestion here is that you're going to leave even your offering, which an offering would be 10% of your worth at that time. So at 10% of your, so 10% of your paycheck, 10% of your month's earnings, you're just gonna leave it right there. Now, let's not, I don't wanna give you the wrong idea, to the, which is like to say that, well, it'll be safe in front of the temple. <laughs> it, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be safe in front of the temple. It'd be like saying, yeah, you can just, don't worry about locking your cars when you come to church. In fact, you can just leave the keys in them because nobody's going to mess with anything. At the, no, that's not true. People steal. People, people steal at, at churches. People steal at temples. So Jesus is saying, don't bother with the, the sheep. Don't bother with the offering. It would be better for you to just lose it and to have to come up with another offering. That's how important it is that you go and be reconciled to your brother and you be reconciled to him first. Even before you're reconciled to God, you need to be reconciled to your brother. Now, this is an interesting thing. In, in Hebrew culture, there was a day called the Day of Atonement. Um, today, it's called Yom Kippur. It's a day of celebration where all Jews, all of God's people were expected to make an offering to the Lord on the Day of Atonement. Now, one of the sort of more recent developments in the celebration of Yom Kippur is there is a celebration called Erev Yom Kippur, which is a celebration that happens the day before Yom Kippur. And what they do is before they go and make offering to the Lord on Yom Kippur, on Erev Yom Kippur, they are supposed to go and make peace with their family, to make peace with, the, with their family, to make peace with their community. And they say, if you can't make peace with your family, you can't make peace with your community, you have no business trying to make peace with God. Well, that's not original to them. That's Jesus. He says, don't try to make peace with God first. Even though we would recognize, let's just be real honest about us, if, if we had somebody gonna be angry with us, would we want it to be our brother or our God, the creator of the universe? Well, we would ra I'd much rather my, my brother be angry with me than God be angry with me because you know, God's got a lot more power than any human being. So I'd much rather make him happy first. But that's not the point. The point is, deal with your heart Deal with your heart first. And your first place to deal with your heart is with your brother before you deal with God. Be cleaned, be atoned, be reconciled to your brother first before you seek reconciliation with God. So he goes on. In verse 25, he says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. 
Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The suggestion here is that not when you're in court, but on your way to court. And both of these stories, they share one very important similarity. And that is we should seek forgiveness quickly. Quickly. We seek forgiveness quickly, immediately, as soon as possible. The earlier, the better. This is an important, important thing that Jesus tells us here. Can you, I mentioned Yom Kippur a moment ago, that there was once a year that they made peace. And that once a year they would make peace with their brother or their sister, their family, their community. Can you imagine if we actually worked that way in our lives? Can you imagine if your spouse never apologized to you except once a year? Like there's one day a year where your, your spouse is going to, you know, like you hand your spouse a list. Like maybe let's just say the day before your anniversary, you give your spouse a list and say, here, here's all the things that you need to say you're sorry for. And they hand you a list. Well, here's the things you need to be sorry for. Okay, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry. No, that wouldn't work. That wouldn't work. That, what, kind of, what kind of marriage would that lead to? What kind of relationship? What, if that was how it was with our brothers and sisters, what would that make our family life like? It, it would be horrible if we never said that we were sorry, if we never sought reconciliation except once a year. And Jesus is saying, don't wait. Don't put it off. Because, and he uses this example of the court as, as sort of an ideal or a model for how this works out. He says, if you, if you don't sue them for peace, if you don't go to them and try to make things right ahead of time, then it gets to a point that you can't make things right except by paying the price. But if you go to them earlier, you can, you can, you can sort of mediate these things. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, verse 26. says, be angry and sin not. And then it goes on and says, let the, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And that is an amazing piece of advice. That is an amazing thing that, to live by. Psalm chapter 4, verse 4 says a very similar thing that says not to, that you can be troubled or you can be in tremors and not sin. And then it says, but instead sit on your bed, consider in your heart, and be silent. But that's not what we would do when we're angry, is it? Nobody wants to get angry and then just sit there and find peace. What we do is we get angry and then we want to talk about it. We want to tell people about it. We want to shout about it. That's not scriptural. That's not godly. The Christian way isn't to have angry and then to have a big fist fight about it and then let it be. No, it's to find peace within yourself and then to seek reconciliation, to seek forgiveness from the person that you have wronged. That's the way that this is supposed to work, and it's supposed to happen quickly, even, even within the course of a single day. Not once a year. Not put it off until Erev Yom Kippur. Not put it off until your anniversary. Not put it off until some point in the future. But every single day, make peace. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Can you imagine what your relationships would be like if every time someone did something against you, you found that sort of forgiveness for them. That not a single day would pass before you made peace with someone. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine what that would be like if people treated you that way? I'll tell you, it would be awesome. It would be sweet. As I look at my life and look at the times that I have very carefully practiced this, um, it's, it's always been a good thing. I, several years ago, I was taking a group of children to a, um, a children's camp, 
And one of my kids bought something in the gift shop. And they spent like 10 or $12, all their money, and, and they bought this little, little trinket from camp. And they literally didn't get it out of the shop before it broke. The, the head, it was a doll, and the head fell off. It was a keychain, doll keychain thing, and, and the head fell off of the body. And so they had a head on a keychain and then a body. And they paid like $12 for this. And I was like, whoa, number one, that should be like 99 cents, okay? So you're, they're really gouging you on the price. But second, it should last at least to the end of the day, you know, like, I've, and the thing is, like, I've seen a lot of keychains that, like, little heads floating on key rings anyway, um, but I, I took it back with them, and I said, hey, listen, the, she didn't even get this out of the store before it broke. Can you give her another one? Sorry, we can't do that. I was like, whoa, okay, no, that, no, that, that can't worry. Let me, okay, I, I get, I know you're, like, a summer staffer here, and you're doing your job or whatever. Okay, that's fine. Let me, let me talk to the manager. And then the manager came out and she said, we can't do that. I'm like, oh, really? Like, you're, you can't, like $12 for a key ring? $12 for a key ring and you can't give them another 20-cent key ring for $12? You can't give them another one? And, and I got angry. I got very angry because I knew this kid, right? I knew this, this child and I knew what she had done, you know, like how, how hard it was for her to raise the money to go to camp. I knew how hard it was for her family to put together money for her to have spending money so that she could be like the other kids and have money to spend in the camp gift shop. I knew the sort of poverty that she came from and I just lost it. And I said, no, that is not acceptable. And I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And I am not okay with you doing this to this child or any child. It is completely unacceptable, and I don't understand how you can live with yourself. And I walked out, and I felt really good about myself for about 30 seconds. Right? I felt really good, like, yeah, I told her. And then I was like, man, that was not godly at all. Like, the things that I said to that woman... I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't abusive. I was just, you know, very forward. And I was like, but that wasn't the best way. Jesus would not have said the things that I just said. And he certainly wouldn't have said it in front of this impressionable little girl. And I said, okay, sweetheart, I need you to do something with me. Let me, come, come with me. And we walked back in there and the lady was like, sir, okay, I understand. I was like, hold on. I'm sorry for what I said to you earlier. I apologize. That wasn't a godly way for me to talk to you. And, and it was not a good example for me to set for her. And this lady looked at me like, what? Like she was just utterly confused that somebody came, that I would come back after, you know, really making a jerk of myself, that I would come back and apologize. And I said, and, and ma'am, I hope that you'll forgive me. And I understand if you can't forgive me right now, because I know that I probably upset you, but I hope that you will in time forgive me. And I, I really am sorry. And then I got out $12 and I bought another keychain. And that was all okay. And I didn't let her have it until we were on our way home from camp. Um, so, and the thing is that I went to back to that camp for the next three years. And the lady that ran the gift shop, the little manager there, was the sweetest person in the world to me from that point forward. And she was just so nice to me. So nice to me that by the end of the week, she was apologizing to me about the, you know, the whole interaction and the policy. And we'll, we need to really need to revisit this policy that we have. And ma'am, you don't have to apologize. I was completely in the wrong. Don't, don't belittle it. I, I was wrong and I'm sorry. And, and we had an amazing relationship for the next three years because of the fact that I went back and I said I was sorry. And I sought forgiveness and I sought it quickly. 
But imagine that the story had gone differently. Imagine I hadn't gone back. I hadn't said I was sorry. I hadn't sought reconciliation and forgiveness from this lady. And then I had to go back to camp there for the next three years. <laughs> it would have been awful. Like every time I got a slushie, I would have been suspicious that somebody had spit in it. Like that would have, it would have been bad. It would have been really bad. She would have had a horrible opinion about me, about my church. She would have had a horrible opinion probably about people from my whole, the whole state because of her interaction with me. Listen, we're all going to get angry. Ephesians chapter 4 implies that. Be angry. You can be angry, but you can be angry without sinning. You can be angry without sinning. Because let's be clear about what sin is. Sin is that which separates us from God. It's the thing that, that breaks relationships. It says, says, go ahead and be angry. Jesus was angry. Jesus shows us anger. He shows us anger in, in the way that he goes into the temple. He shows us anger. He shows us disappointment. He shows the full gamut of human emotions. So we understand that it is acceptable to be angry. What's unacceptable is to stay angry. What's unacceptable is to act out of your anger, to act out of your anger and hurt relationships, to hurt relationships between you and your physical, earthly brothers and sisters, to hurt relationships within your church with brothers and sisters, to hurt your relationship with your God because you're so angry about some situation that you, that you lash out at God. It happens, and it all comes back to the same seed that is inside each of us, and that is anger. And so when we're angry, it's okay to be angry. It's not okay to stay angry. It's not okay to let that anger drive your behavior. Be angry, but get over it as quickly as possible. Don't, a friend of mine put it this way. He said, stewing is great for beef, but it is not good for the human heart. It makes beef nice and tender and delicious, but it makes your heart hard. It does. So let's, be, let's get angry. Let's be angry but let's deal with it quickly. Let's sit on our beds before we go to sleep at night and find peace, find forgiveness, find a way that we can be reconciled to our brother and sister in Christ. Find a way that we can seek out peace because it is essential for our development. If we are going to live as Christ, if we're going to live as Christ, then we have to take his example on how to be angry. This morning, as I've talked about anger, as I've talked about being like Christ. For some of you, this is a reminder of something that you have known and practiced for years. For some of us, it's a reminder of something maybe that we haven't practiced in years. For some of us, this may be a, an entirely new concept, that this is how Christ would have his people to behave. Some of us may not know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, may not have made a commitment to live in this way. And so I want us to have a time of invitation I want us to have a time of response. For those of us that know this, who practice this, let this time of response for you be a time to praise the Lord that you captured this at a time in your life. That you maybe years and years ago, maybe when you were a very young person, that you captured this idea and that you've let it direct your path. If that's how you've lived, then thank God that he gave you that wisdom. If you remember this, if you know this in your head, but you've had a hard time practicing it, then let this be a time to dedicate yourself to practicing anger this way, to being angry but not sinning through your anger. And if you don't know the forgiveness of a Lord and Savior that guides his people in how to be angry but still maintain relationships, if you don't have that relationship first, then I'd invite you today 
to come and learn more about a Savior who would give himself, who would humble himself even to the point of taking on our sin on the cross so that we would be reconciled to our Father. Let's pray together.